You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Today's episode of Radical Personal Finance is brought to you by HelloFresh. Please visit HelloFresh.com and use the promo code RPF30 to save 30 bucks off your first week of deliveries when you subscribe. Welcome to Radical Personal Finance, the show dedicated to providing you with the knowledge, skills, insight, and encouragement you need to live a rich and meaningful life now while building a plan for financial freedom in 10 years or less and protecting that plan from financial catastrophe. Question on today's show comes in from Curran who says, on the most recent Q&A, I had a follow-up question on Samaritan Ministries. We're fellow Samaritan users and are very pleased with the program. I was particularly drawn to the occasional celebratory cigar clause as well, and when my wife had emergency surgery this spring, I was very impressed with the personal involvement in the medical expense process it gave us while also fully covering the more than $60,000 need. It seems like if more people were using this sort of solution, we would be moving toward a more rational, national approach to healthcare. My question is this. In speaking about Samaritan to a pastor friend, he threw out the scenario that your middle school age son is injured in an accident while riding in a friend's car and the police find marijuana in the car. What happens? When I asked a Samaritan representative about it, he said their board would carefully review the situation and if they deemed that your son wasn't responsible for or aware of the pot, then his injury would be covered. If he was responsible or aware, then he would not be covered. While my kids are all under eight right now and this scenario is a ways off as a possibility for us, I'm concerned that when they reach middle or high school age, I may need to look into alternatives for a couple of reasons. One, I'm not fully convinced of an investigatory board's ability to discern for sure in such a scenario what was going on. And two, while I'm teaching my kids to obey their parents and the civil authorities, they're still sinners. And growing up being a learning process, I'm concerned that if one of my kids made a stupid choice as a 14-year-old, it could significantly haunt the whole family for a long time. What are your thoughts on medical sharing plans and this sort of scenario? And obviously, this is just one example of the many ways a child could make a sinful and stupid decision while still under their parents' care that could have long-term ramifications. Thanks again, Curran. Well, Curran, it's a good question. Let me give just about two minutes of background for listeners who may not be familiar with the context. Samaritan Ministries is one of the popular healthcare sharing ministries, which are not insurance companies. They are religious organizations that, uh, wherein the members who subscribe to these organizations agree to pay one another's or to support one another in their medical expenses. So functionally, it can functionally serve in some ways 
like insurance, to help somebody pay their medical expenses. And the story here that Curran shared, his wife had surgery and uh, his fellow members in Samaritan Ministries contributed uh, up to $60,000 to pay the $60,000 bill. But it is not health insurance. And since it is not health insurance, the uh, religious organizations of which Samaritan Ministries is one, it's the one that my family and I choose to use, uh, These they have different requirements and different concerns versus traditional health insurance. And so as an example, because uh, – and each of the organizations is different, but because these uh, organizations are explicitly religious, their guidelines and the functioning guidelines and rules by which the company operates will – be different than non-explicitly uh, religious organizations. The basic functional ideology of Samaritan Ministries specifically and the others function similarly with regard to paying for medical bills and encouraging members to participate in the payment of medical bills basically boils down to two things. Number one, uh, the organization will encourage people to participate in the payment of medical bills for anything that is not explicitly contrary to Christian doctrine. So Curran's wife's emergency surgery was covered, but if Curran's wife desired to have a surgery, uh, for example, sterilization surgery, that would not be covered by Samaritan Ministries because that would be considered to be contrary to Christian doctrine and contrary to the Christian doctrine as explicitly defined in the Samaritan Ministries guidelines. The second idea is not to cover certain types of medical treatment if that the reason, the impending, the, the cause of that treatment has been a circumstance that involves a sinful behavior or action of a, of a participant, of a member. And that's why the example that Curran gives here with a 14-year-old child using marijuana or being suspected of using marijuana and then having a car accident and uh, having medical expenses coming from that, that's why this is particularly uh, poignant. And there are other examples as well. For example, Samaritan Ministries, uh, if uh, – what example to use? If, for example, if you contracted um, a venereal disease or something like HIV/AIDS, uh, the circumstances of of the uh, contraction are very important as to whether they will help to pay for the treatment or not. If the disease was contracted uh, during homosexual activity or during adulterous activity, then the the treatment for that disease is explicitly rejected and not covered. But uh, if it were contracted uh, under other circumstances, such as a body fluid transfer or something under circumstances like that, then it is covered. So they're very, very careful uh, about it and they're careful to lay this out. Now, for many people, these types of restrictions and and things is, is very shocking. Uh, it's very shocking to many people that uh, there would be people who believe that this is an appropriate way to handle uh, it. For example, one of the – I got several emails when I previously did a show on healthcare sharing ministries, uh, several very – irate listeners uh, when I talked about uh, childbirth. Samaritan Ministries has uh, a requirement for those who – childbirth, they will pay for uh, childbirth exp – they'll can share the need for childbirth expenses. I'm trying to use the explicit non-insurance language. Um, they'll share the need for childbirth expenses for children who are conceived in marriage. But if a child is conceived outside of marriage in a fornica fornication relationship or an adulterous relationship, then they don't. Uh, they don't share those needs. Uh, so this is very shocking to people. Many people wrote me emails. How can a this is so unchristian? How can you know, people not care for for the needs? But this is this is. 
very important to many Christians that an organization function this way because it helps to absolve um, the conscience of the people who are involved. And this is one of the things that is so helpful about healthcare sharing ministries. Uh, for example, in the scenario that I just talked about in terms of uh, pregnancy and childbirth, uh, nobody would deny that uh, a mother, let's say a single mother who conceived her baby in a sinful relationship that wasn't uh, it wasn't in a relationship with her husband, uh, nobody would deny that that mother needs to be cared for and that the baby needs to be cared for <laughs> all around. Uh, I mean, there's a Christian ministry in every corner that wants to support single mothers. Uh, but the question comes down to conscience, and the people involved need to be understanding what's actually happening in the, uh, in the scenario. The people who are contributing financially into a, a scenario need that's questionable or that's under questionable circumstances, those people need to be close enough to the situation to be to have close knowledge. And it would be even inappropriate to share uh, even particular details of questionable scenarios broadly. Those needs need to be ministered to on a local basis and the financial donations given locally. So this this general ideology, this framework under which uh, healthcare sharing ministries like Samaritan Ministries operate, uh, I found it's either very repulsive to people. Um, many people, when I did the show, many people wrote emails talking about how repulsive they found the, the idea, uh, or it's very attractive to people. I'm one of those who finds it to be very attractive. It's very helpful. It helps to uh, assuage those questions of conscience. Uh, I'm responsible for the impact of every dollar that I contribute and give, and this is why it's so difficult. Uh, oftentimes, uh, I find it difficult to participate in many mainstream insurance programs. If the money is going to be go and be used for something that is immoral, uh, that causes, makes it very, very difficult. Or, or this is why this is such a big question about um, taxpayer support for certain things. I would have, find it very hard to be a taxpayer in the state of Oregon right now with recent, recent legislative changes, just as, as, as an example. So I appreciate deeply uh, an organization like Samaritan Ministries that gives me an opportunity to feel much more comfortable with the use, the way that um, the dollars that I'm a steward of are being used. And as a voluntary organization, uh, one thing, Samaritan Ministries, uh, if you're one who is repulsed by this type of functioning, Samaritan Ministries is crystal clear with all of these things again and again and again. Uh, during the process of, of sign up, the guidelines, everything is very clearly um, stated in advance. So the people who are participating with an organization like Samaritan Ministries are doing so after being fully apprised of, of the details and they're giving their their conscious assent uh, to something that is entirely voluntary. And to me, that's the way it, it should be. And it's not even just a one-time thing. Uh, it has to be assented. These requirements and rules uh, are assented to on an annual basis very explicitly. So this is the that's the background for those of you who are unfamiliar with the context of this question. So Karen, let me answer the question. There are two important answers to it. Number one, you need to recognize that this is not a problem that is exclusive to uh, Samaritan Ministries specifically or healthcare sharing ministries generally, but that every insurance policy has certain exceptions and exclusions. Today's show is sponsored by HelloFresh. Been talking to you a bunch about HelloFresh over the past few months. Uh, HelloFresh is a meal kit delivery service <laughs> that makes cooking more fun and easy. 
so that you can enjoy the whole process and experience of cooking, not just the final food. Uh, if you are a great cook and you have all the time in the world, you can go out and make up your own recipes, get your own ingredients, etc. That's great. That's awesome. Um, if you love to eat out, you can go out and you can hire servants to make all your food for you out in the restaurant. But HelloFresh is a cool alternative between those two. For less than 10 bucks a meal, you can sign up with HelloFresh, and every week they'll send you a new box, and that box will have all of the ingredients and directions you need to create some awesome food. Uh, super, super simple, super, super easy, and it makes cooking fun because all you do is basically assemble and then toss it in the oven or whatever the appropriate preparation methodology is. Uh, I know that uh, for me and in, in our household, one of the biggest challenges is figuring out menus, figuring out what to make. There have been many times where we, my wife and I, we'd just been so tired at the end of the day and get to the end of the day and we don't know what to make. And so we wind up going out and eating out because uh, we don't know what to make. Well, HelloFresh can solve that problem. You just open up the box, start following the instructions, and you're going to have an incredible, uh, really delicious and healthy meal prepared. Options for two people, four people, families, vegetarian options, all kinds of stuff. Uh, go to HelloFresh.com. Uh, check out all their options. Check out their menus. HelloFresh.com. If it's right for you and you want to sign up, love that. Use the promo code RPF30, please. Save 30 bucks off of your first week of deliveries. Again, promo code RPF30 at HelloFresh.com. You need to recognize that this is not a problem that is exclusive to uh, Samaritan Ministries specifically or healthcare sharing ministries generally, but that every insurance policy has certain exceptions and exclusions. Uh, for example, with disability income insurance, if you were to purchase disability income insurance and then you were to be in, uh, disabled during the commission of a crime, you fall, you're robbing a, a warehouse, you fall through the skylight, you become disabled, the disability insurance policy explicitly states that it will not pay. It will not pay out under those circumstances. Or if you were to purchase a life insurance policy and then one month after the inception of the policy, you were to commit suicide, the disability policy – sorry, the life insurance policy explicitly states that it will not pay the benefit. There is a two-year suicide exception clause on life insurance policies. They pay out for suicide after two years, but they don't before that. Uh, or another example from disability, just going off of memory, would be something like war. Uh, if you are, uh, if you have a disability insurance policy, but you are injured and become disabled uh, because you have been actively enlisted in a military and, and engaged in a military conflict, then that disability will not be counted as disability, uh, and it won't be paid for by the policy. There are many examples from the world of property insurance, probably one that hopefully we all know now. Homeowners insurance does not – standard homeowners insurance does not pay for claims that are related to flooding and water events. So those people who in Houston who had a homeowner's insurance policy, if they did not additionally have a flood insurance policy, then their claims, any damage that's related to their house that is uh, – that is Based upon uh, the flood itself, that claim will not be covered by their homeowner's insurance policy. There may be – for those people, there may be an additional flood insurance policy that they have or there are sometimes additional uh, charitable relief uh, – let me not call – 
government action charity. Additional government relief actions that are related to, uh, for example, a FEMA, a special FEMA policy uh, or a special access to small business administration loans at low interest rates, things like that, that might be available for them. But it won't be from their homeowner's insurance policy. Sometimes this would relate to uh, earthquake damage uh, in some homeowners and policies, uh, or there are often exceptions and limitations of coverage for uh, damage that's caused due to negligence on behalf of the property owner. Uh, somebody doesn't fix their roof, and, and so that causes additional damage to the property. Well, if there were negligence and that was caused by disrepair, then that could be problematic in terms of getting coverage. Every insurance policy uh, has exceptions. Every insurance policy has limitations. If the insurance policy does not have exceptions and limitations, it will likely not function. This is one of the reasons why the Affordable Care Act with the changes that happened in national health insurance in the United States was so problematic uh, because many of the traditional ways of protecting the insurance company were uh, were removed when you remove the ability to exclude pre-existing con uh, conditions or, uh, or to at least limit them during the, the at the inception of a policy, it, it opens up opportunities for adverse selection on behalf of many sick people. Is what happened. Many sick people uh, chose to buy insurance, which is why the laws mandating the purchase of insurance were absolutely necessary in order for the the, the insurance to even function as such. Anyway, I don't want to go into uh, the Affordable Care Act just simply to demonstrate that every uh, insurance policy has exceptions. And it's important that you always are aware of those exceptions. One very important aspect of due diligence that you should perform regularly, at least when you are renewing insurance coverage, is read your insurance contracts. Now, sometimes this is easy. Sometimes this is hard. Very few of us have ever read our insurance contracts, which is why when we lend a car out to somebody uh, or we uh, we lend a car to somebody or we uh, go to rent a car and they offer, do you want the additional rental uh, coverage? Oftentimes, we're caught flat-footed and thinking, well, should I sign up for this additional policy or should I not? Uh, or we go to lend the car to somebody and we think, well, am I opening myself up and exposing myself to a potential problem here if they crash my car or if they hurt somebody else in my car or do I have some form of coverage? The answer to that question will depend on your insurance policy. Uh, it's an important little bit of due diligence to perform, important little bit of homework uh, to, to perform. Incidentally, let me answer. I had one listener who had emailed me a long time ago and, and said I, I talked about the idea I like to have an extra car around when possible to be able to lend out to people who are in need. And they said, well, how do you handle that from a risk perspective? Some people very clearly say don't ever lend your car out uh, in – I've read many books that are very, very strong about that. Don't ever lend a car out for any reason. Uh, my answer to that is my insurance policy uh, explicitly provides coverage for me if I lend my car out to somebody on a short-term basis. Of course, the, the driver needs to be properly licensed, proper proper driver, of course, but I maintain and retain the same coverage that I have on a normal basis if I make a temporary loan for of my vehicle to somebody else. So I'm comfortable with that risk uh, given the benefits of being able to help somebody who is in need. That's not any kind of national standard, however. Your insurance policy may be different and you should investigate that. So this is not a problem of an exception of coverage that's exclusive to Samaritan Ministries. But it is a potential problem because of the very stringent exclusions of coverage 
for an organization like Samaritan Ministries. There are many people for whom Samaritan uh, – I mean millions, a huge portion of the population for whom Samaritan Ministries is not uh, appropriate. And there are many people who may perfectly be able to affirm all of the statements and requirements that an organization like Samaritan Ministries would require, but for whom it may not be an appropriate coverage. And the scenario that you described there uh, is an example of something that you should consider very carefully. Now, I want to go back in the archives of the concepts I've presented here on Radical Personal Finance all the way back to episode 91, uh, which was called Do I Need Insurance? A Mental Model to Analyze Methods of Dealing with Risk, very early in the Radical Personal Finance project. And I talked about the different risks and the way that risks should be handled. And I think this answer is your question, your specific question, and gives the tools to be able to answer it. In episode 91, I laid out some of the risk control methods that can be used. Uh, some of them are, for example, risk avoidance and loss prevention and loss reduction and then non-insurance transfers. That was what from my outline at that point in time. Risk avoidance, loss prevention, loss reduction, and non-insurance transfers. Uh, and uh, then, of course, we can transfer risk using uh, insurance as well. We can do a non-insurance transfer of risk or an insurance transfer of risk. So practically speaking, the scenario that you described is one that would have a varying risk profile depending on the age and the activities of your children. And it's possible that this risk could be reduced due to loss prevention activities. So, for example, a very practical training point with children, just talking into the world of child training for a moment, one of the most important tools I'm convinced that we as parents need to equip our children with is pre-planned behaviors when confronting difficult situations. The D.A.R.E. people said it well, for example. Remember the D.A.R.E. keep kids off of drugs programs? Just say no. Uh, and as I understand, the basic of their instruction was to try to combat drug use among uh, among children uh, was to say, here's a plan. When somebody offers you drugs, you say no. Well, that's a, a really important uh, decision to make. And that's something that we as parents need to equip our children with in advance. We need to equip them with the tools by discussing the situation. Here's what's likely to happen. When this happens, you do this. If I think back in my own life, uh, some of the situations where I have been in great danger, great physical danger and great moral danger, oftentimes the reason I was there was because I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to handle the situation. There are a number of situations that I wish my parents had taken the time to instruct me and give me advice. Now, sometimes, often, as parents, we have a tendency to be naive. We have a tendency to be naive about the things that our children are likely to do, the things that – the situations that they're going to be involved in. We think, oh, not my little Johnny, uh, not my little Sally. They wouldn't do it. Well, how do you know what your children would or wouldn't do unless you've instructed them in it? Children and young men and women do not have the emotional maturity to be able to handle many of these situations. One of the ones that, just very practically speaking, uh, I often was faced with the idea of, I don't know what to do when somebody is driving too fast. 
generally when I was younger, I was pretty level-headed, pretty responsible. I steered clear of a lot of trouble. But I actually consider one time when I was younger uh, that scares me to death when I look back on it and realize how stupid I was. But I was with some friends in the car. I was driving. And for some reason, I usually didn't drive all that quickly when I was young. I generally didn't have a heavy foot. But for some reason, I was driving uh, very fast. I was going about 90 miles an hour on the highway. And it was, it was, there was an empty road, et cetera. But I was in the car with three of my friends and I was going 90 miles an hour on the highway. And one of the girls that was with me uh, said, wow, this car goes pretty fast. I still remember it like, like just clear as anything. Now, thankfully, nothing happened. I wasn't I didn't drink. I wasn't under any influence. I was just driving fast. And the car, you know, as with many cars, many cars can handle 90 miles an hour. But there was no reason in the world for me to be going 90 miles an hour. And it wasn't even a fast car. It wasn't a sports car. It was just a normal car. And in hindsight, what I realized was happening, that girl who was in the car with me was uncomfortable, as she should have been. Uh, ashamed that I was uh, that I was doing it. But she was uncomfortable, but she didn't know what to say. She didn't necessarily want to be uncool and say, Joshua, please slow down. And I was in that situation many times. Uh, and when I would be with somebody who was driving unsafely, they were driving fast or they were showboating, something like that. And I didn't want to be the uncool person, the person to, to uh, stop the party and say something. Well, I wish someone had given me some instruction about what to do. I figured some things out over time. Thankfully, that that 90 mile an hour thing was not a normal thing. I usually just became the driver and then I could control the circumstances better. Uh, but with my children, when they reach that age, I'm going to give them very clear instruction. If you're in the car with somebody who is driving unsafely, here is what you do. It wasn't for me until I was in my mid-20s that I had the uh, the clarity and the maturity and the strength of, of character and force of will to understand that, no, I'm not going to deal with this. I'm not going to have my life put in danger. But even uh, – it's still not easy. A couple of years ago, uh, I was with some people at some harvest festival at some church building uh, here where we live. And we – I wanted to take my children on the hayride and um, – we went on the hayride on the on the tractor with the the person, but we wound up getting on with a group of uh, of like a some I guess a youth group or something that had been on it, and so the driver was being very aggressive with their driving. They were driving the tractor uh, in very tight circles, driving it quickly, speeding up, slowing down, driving close to trees, and but yet I didn't want to ruin the fun. Finally, I realized I was being stupid. And I just thought, Joshua, what are you doing? I'm sitting here. This is unsafe. This is by definition unsafe. None of these children should be in the situation. This driver should not be permitted to do this. And at the, and at, but yet, I didn't want to ruin everyone's fun. I didn't want to. I didn't know who it was. I didn't want to get anybody in trouble. All of these emotions that that go on. Uh, finally, I said stop, and I got my family out, and I I mildly reprimanded the driver, and we left. Now, even now, in hindsight, as I consider it, I realize I should have been stronger. What was happening was legitimately unsafe, and I should not have been permitted it because I would bear some guilt if I didn't stop it if, and, and there were a catastrophe. I don't want to overemphasize the, uh, a simple example like a hayride on a tractor, but I do want to emphasize that this is something that we need to build in ourselves, the confidence to walk away. It's building in me. Now at 32, I'm much more confident than I was at 22. 
but I think we can help our children to participate in this as well. This has to start at an early age with age-appropriate instruction. So I instruct my children very carefully. If you get separated from daddy and mommy, here's the plan. Here's what you do. We need to tell them what to do so they're not emotionally distraught when they get separated from mommy and daddy. My children have one set of instructions if they're in a crowd of people. They have another set of instructions if they're by themselves and they wandered off in the woods. We need to proactively instruct our children what to do if somebody preys on them. If somebody says to our children, hey, you need to keep this a secret from mommy and daddy, our children need very clear instructions about the keeping of secrets when it's appropriate and when it's not. They need very clear instructions. If somebody touches you in this way on these areas of your bodies, of your body, this is what you do. You need to yell and tell. Yell at the top of your lungs and go and immediately talk to mommy about it. We've got to instruct our children on what do you do if you're over at somebody's house and they say, look, let me show you this cool gun that I found. Uh, this is my daddy's gun. Let me show it with you. Children are killed every single year in that situation, and it's unconscionable that we not instruct our children what to do and how to be forces of good and influence and leaders in that situation so that it can be resolved safely and appropriately. You can't play around with this stuff. You have to instruct our children on what to do when somebody tries to show you pornography. Guaranteed to happen. What are you going to do? And it needs to be instructed long before it ever happens. We can't play around with this stuff. I mean, very valuable passage of scriptures, Solomon, in speaking to his son in Proverbs chapter 5, he talks about what to do with regard to a prostitute. He clearly describes the problem. He clearly describes the situation. He describes, here's why you're going to be attracted to a prostitute. Here's what she's going to say. Here's how she's going to call out to you. When the prostitute calls out to you, this is what you do, and this is how you avoid it. And we've got to do exactly the same thing. So whether we're dealing with a legitimate flesh and blood prostitute or whether we're dealing with marijuana or alcohol or any one of the myriad of traps that our children will face, it's our job as parents to give them that instruction and to do it proactively. So shame on us if we haven't done that. Shame on us if our children wander in to the place where they weren't warned to go. We bear the responsibility in that situation. Now, forgive me if I'm, I'm preaching a little bit, but I get so frustrated about this. Even just look at the current. We've grown a bunch of moral cowards in the U.S. American culture. Look at the current hoopla with um, Harvey Weinstein, this this scumbag abuser. Probably, maybe I should moderate that because there's not been a court case, and I should go with innocent until proven guilty. But all all I don't see any disagreeing accounts. There are hundreds of people that must have known about this guy's behavior, and yet nobody spokes up, nobody, nobody speaks up, nobody confronts it, nobody exposes the sin and the evil. It takes a victim to come forth and blow the thing open. What about all of the enabling people all around who allow this, this evil to continue? It's one thing for a victim to come forward, and they should, but when somebody's been victimized by an abuser— it's very challenging for them to be able to overcome that. Now, hopefully we can equip them to do that. But that's not their first and foremost responsibility. It's our responsibility to pay attention to those who are being victimized and stand up for them. Paul in Ephesians commands, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. So this evil has to be exposed and it has to be eradicated. 
It's evil and unconscionable for you to allow sin to go on. You'd allow people to be evil and to not expose it publicly. And it's the same thing with our children. We've got to train them exactly the same. <laughs> Forgive me. I got. I, I started preaching at y'all. Um, I, I feel strongly about it, and I am sick and tired of cowards sitting by and not standing up against evil. It doesn't matter if it's your brother or your boss or your governor or your best friend. It doesn't matter if it's your pastor. It doesn't matter who it is. Anytime, it doesn't matter if you agree with somebody politically and you like their political ideology, you cannot defend evil. Whatever form it comes in, it needs to be clearly seen and clearly exposed so that it can be destroyed. That <laughs> tirade was intended to say that I think you can moderate this risk with your children by carefully instructing them. And it's not just health insurance basics. This, this is what you need to do. You need to instruct your children. If you're in a situation and you're with people who are consuming alcohol or using marijuana or using other drugs or participating in any form of immorality, you need to flee. Run. Because none of us and none of our children are strong enough to stand if we start hanging out in Sodom. So <laughs> you can make a difference in your children's lives. And that's part of training. You should make a difference in your children's lives. We've got to teach our children what to do. If someone's driving unsafely, if someone's driving under the influence. You know, I think back to how much I struggle with this sometimes in college. Last example, and, and I'll be done. But uh, I think back to how when I would have friends that were drinking and they, you know, drunks, people who are drunk, are very persuasive. I would have friends who were drinking, and sometimes you don't know, okay, they how many drinks did they have? And they're like, oh, I'm going to drive home. Well, when do you know when to take the keys away? It's a hard answer. When do you know when to take the keys away? In hindsight, I wish I had been, as a young man, I wish I had been stronger. Now, thankfully, you know, there wasn't a lot of tragedy in, as far as I, I did for, due to my own negligence. Nobody ever was in tragedy. But I know so many other situations where there were. You know, there was a heartbreaking scenario when I was in college. And um, a couple of kids were killed. Country concert. Country, went to a country concert, drinking, for whatever reason, flipped the car over on the interstate and, and um, dead. It's just heartbreaking. I bet you they, their parents wished that one of their friends had stood up and said no. And when somebody takes action, that has incredible consequences. As I've learned to be stronger, I've often seen that people would, um, you know, people may laugh at you when you walk away. But what happens usually, there are some people who are so blinded by uh, their behavior that they just laugh at you and say, oh, that person's spoiling the fun. But usually, often all it takes is one person to stand up and walk away. And that'll encourage a couple of other people to stand up and walk away. There's no excuse for us not to be those people. There's no excuse for us not to train our children to be those people. 
So I think that you can mitigate this risk through good parenting. I don't think that this is a, a risk that you have to worry about. I think that you can you can uh, avoid this risk and you can reduce the, the the risk. This is a risk that's manageable through good parenting. Now, is it a risk that is always guaranteed to be manageable? No. Let's say that you have a child who is rebelling against your authority. Uh, they're sowing themselves into this type of lifestyle. You're aware that they're using drugs. You're interacting with them, etc. Well, I think there your risk scenario changes. And that's a scenario where you better take action. Now, hopefully the action is not just changing um, – you know, trying to say, well, I'm going to change our health insurance so that if they are on drugs and they uh, they get an accident, then they're going to be this. I hope it's a whole lot stronger than that. Uh, and I don't think that in this and even in that scenario, I don't think this is the first of the the concerns. Uh, there are a lot deeper problems, uh, and it's beyond my expertise to even open my mouth on what you would do in that situation. Uh, but I think if you if the circumstances changed changed and your risk profile changed, then yes, you start to change things. You start to change the, the 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 things you're using, and so I think this is where on the matrix that I presented in in episode ninety one, where I talked about how we analyze the expected frequency of an event and then the expected severity loss severity of an event, then you may change categories. So for any event that has a a high expected frequency and a high expected severity, you have to avoid that. You can't ensure those types of risks. You have to avoid it. So speaking specifically and applying it to the situation, if I have a child that – let's say the child is driving and the child is prone to drug use or alcohol use and they're obviously being stupid and making stupid decisions, well, then I need to avoid that risk as much as possible. So I'm going to remove the car. They're not going to be allowed to drive. I'm going to remove their ability to be with other people. As long as they're under my authority and I have that authority, I'm going to remove the their ability to be with other people. And then I'm going to fight like crazy to, to solve the, the relationship problems that are leading to this. And 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 I wouldn't and I don't know where to go from there. I wouldn't pretend to give advice on that. I don't I don't even have a clue. But the point is that if there's a high loss severity, I have a child who's behaving stupidly and they're doing it with a high frequency, then we've got to avoid that risk as much as possible. You don't just say, here, keep the car uh, and uh, I'm going to take away and we're going to change our health insurance. No. You try to avoid the whole scenario. If you have a an event that has a high expected frequency, but a low expected severity, well, that's the kind of risk that you can just retain the risk. This would not be an applicable example to, to your, your question here. But if you had something that was a low expected frequency and a low severity, then I think that's also an appropriate risk to retain. And it's only if you have something that has a low expected frequency, but a high severity that, that you ensure. So as your risk profile changes, then your insurance decisions would change. These things are not static. These things are not uh, just always the same, and there's no need for it. And this is one of the major kind of financial planning mistakes that um, people often make is they make decisions one time and then they never address them. It's important to address them and reassess and ask, is my risk profile still the same? Are the things that I'm concerned about still the same? And adjust as time goes on. It's only as you adjust uh, your the details, it's only as you make adjustments that a financial plan can stay on track. I think that's all I have to say on this subject. Um, 
thank you for listening. <laughs> I didn't intend to start preaching at you, but I guess when you touch on something that you're passionate about, then it kind of tumbles out. And I'm tired of the cowards. Now, there's no reason for those of us who see something to go across the world and try to point out the speck in someone else's eye across the world. We got to deal with the logs nearby. So don't, you know, I'm not trying to get us all to go and, I mean, I used Weinstein because it's a common news example currently that's probably common, but it's not my business to deal with Hollywood. It is my business to deal with the abusers that I know. Can't do anything about Weinstein. Does me no good to worry about him. It's the responsibility of those people who are close to him to rebuke him and to expose him. But you and I better not keep quiet about the situations that we know about. And I guess the way that that applies to money is this. It may cost you your job. It may cost you a role in a movie and fame and fortune and stardom. But at the end of the day, do you want to arrive 20 years down the road with a nice fat bank account and look yourself in the mirror and know that you've been complicit in evil? Or would you rather be able to look yourself in the mirror and pick your chin up? Don't sell your soul for a fun night on the red carpet and a fancy movie royalty check. And I guess I've, I've preached enough in this show. I might as well finish my sermon. Uh, the book of Hebrews uh, the writer of Hebrews talks about Moses, and it says that Moses chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. The psalmist stated the same thing um, when it says in the book of Psalms, a single day in your courts, speaking to God, a single day in your courts is better than a thousand anywhere else. I'd rather be a gatekeeper in the house of my God than live the good life in the homes of the wicked. So if you're facing a challenge, if you're asking the question about what do I do when I'm facing a wicked situation, it doesn't matter how powerful the person is, it doesn't matter how high the corruption goes, it doesn't matter how evil it is, don't stand and think that the pleasure of sin will continue. Don't think that if I just get the, 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 uh, the, the favor of this person, then I'll be happy because they'll pour out their money and their favor on me. Don't think it for an instant. Maybe true for a short time. But at the end of the day, evil will always be exposed to light and will always be destroyed. You see that happening right now in, um, uh, in the news, very current, um, even by people, the majority of whom, as far as I'm aware of, don't give any, um, don't give any acknowledgement to God in any way. It doesn't matter whether they acknowledge God or not. They still see the effect that you can sow a career for 20 years. But if people find out you've been complicit in evil, that career will unravel overnight. It's the way the world works. So you can get away with evil for a short time, but not for a long term. So don't be complicit. Stand up and expose it, no matter the cost. I didn't really mean for uh, insurance to <laughs> cross over <laughs> this boundary, <laughs> but I hope that it's encouraging to you uh, in this day, and I hope that you can do something with it and train your children to be courageous, to be courageous 
People's lives are at stake. It's no laughing matter to see somebody's life destroyed by abuse because people were silent in the face of the abuser because of fear or because of not wanting to rock the boat. It's no laughing matter to see a young man or a young woman's life snuffed short because one of their friends decided to drunkenly get in a car. And this applies even whether or not uh, it's no laughing matter for your husband or wife and your children to be on their way home from the soccer game and some drunk plow into their car and kill every one of them because that drunk's friend didn't pull their keys from them. If that happens to you, you would wish that somebody stood up and took the keys from the drunk and said, stop. Well, you can't expect it of other people if you're not willing to do it to yourself. And yes, I'm preaching to myself. As (laughs) just about every day. All right, I'm done. I'll be back with you all soon. This show is part of the Radical Life Media Network of podcasts and resources. Find out more at RadicalLifeMedia.com.